Hello and welcome to the Mariner's Library with me, Chris Stanmore Major. In this episode, we're continuing the book The Romantic Challenge by Sir Francis Chichester. This is the ninth part of the reading and we're continuing chapter three. Now, if you haven't already, please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner and there for $5 a month, you can not only support this podcast, but also get access to additional exclusive Patreon-only content. Now on with the story. Chapter 3 continued. Seventh day's run to noon fix on Tuesday the 19th of January 1971. Distance fix to fix, 207 miles. Calculated distance to finish, 2,810 miles. Days remaining, 13. I was not surprised to find that the seventh day run was again 207 miles between fixes. If I could get the second pole rigged without too much delay, Gypsy Moth ought to show the speed which I had been hoping for all along. By three o'clock in the afternoon, I had the wreckage cleared away and the second boom rigged with the 300 jib boomed out. Gypsy Moth was going well with it. The sailing speed went up at once from eight and a third knots to over nine. By five, the speedometer was reading 12 knots at times during surfing surges in a 28-knot wind. Except for breakfast, I had been working solidly for ten and a half hours. Periodically, I trimmed the boomed sail or one of the others, keeping a watchful eye for any chance of getting more speed. A log entry after some eighteen hours of drama with the pole now seems quaint. Great news. The bananas are ripening. I have eaten three today already, and how delicious they are. The yacht-cruising chroniclers say that one gets sick of them at sea because they all ripen at once. I shall be interested in the effect on this ship. Now I must eat. Lunch is overdue. This was written at 19.25. Gin fairly stuns one after a hard night and day, but it's a great feeling after troubles have ceased to boil. At midnight, the sailing speed had averaged 9.4 knots, with an apparent wind on board of 25 knots, 120 degrees to starboard. This made a true wind of northeast at 30.5 knots. The trim and sail balance was now just right. As a result, the going was so quiet that I kept looking at the wind dial to see if it had fallen calm. The boomed-out runner kept the headsails quiet by turning the wind onto them. I had thought earlier in the night that it was too much squared off and trimmed it further aft by 10 or 15 degrees. Wednesday, the 20th of January, 0210. I had a brilliant idea, while more sleep than not, of sheeting the topsail out to the mizzen boom end with the boom carrying no sail itself. Now I was awake, however, I wondered if it would back when the jib. It seemed to pay to keep the lee side sails fairly well sheeted in. After all, one wants to deflect the wind direction so that the wind shoots sternwards after leaving the sail like a jet stream. Perhaps it might make more sense to set the big runner as a Genoa instead of the number one jib, and lead its sheet to the mizzen boom end. Three hours after midnight, I tried paying the topsail off well, but it was a loss of speed instead of a gain. Either the sail did no work, or else it backwinded both the top half of the big jib and the top half of the main staysail. I think it would be better without it. At nine o'clock in the morning, the speed averaged for the last period was 9.63 knots, the highest gypsy moth had ever reached for a period. I dropped the topsail because conditions of sea and wind had freshened a lot and sail reduction was needed. As soon as the sail was down, there seemed to be a lull, and everything went as quiet as in the Bewley River, though when I looked at the wind speed indicator, I noted that the wind was still 27 knots. It just showed how the wrong sail, or just the wrong amount of sail, 
can cause turmoil and discord. I had a sore leg burn where I had scraped a stanchion when a wave sluiced me across the deck and I ended up with my legs overboard. There is one area of Gypsy Moth's lee deck amidships where one cannot get a hand or foothold when doing something like furling the topsail. No harm was done and it was a lesson always to fasten on in fresh conditions when an all-powerful wave can come aboard and sweep the deck. At 11, the speed was still up to 9.36 knots for the past two hours. The true wind was now northeast, 36 knots, up and down 4 knots. I went on deck and studied the rig trim to see if Gypsy Moth could carry Big Brother instead of the 300 jib. I found it was much more lively up there than it had seemed below since I dropped the topsail. I would have dearly loved an extra knot for a day or two, but I had to keep sensitive to gear strain. If piling on more sail bust the mast or caused any more gear failure, it would have been poor judgment. A 450 square foot sail boomed out could have been borne, but I doubted the gear could have stood up to the 640 square foot sail. The wind was a good fresh force eight. Giving more thought to my idea of the small hours of using Big Brother as a Genoa instead of the number one jib on the lee side to make a running pair with the boomed out sail on the windward side, I came to the conclusion that it would be a mistake. When sailing from Plymouth to Bissau, all the best speeds were with the number one jib set and none when I had the big runner set as a Genoa. Eighth day's run to noon fix, Wednesday 20th of January 1971. Distance, fix to fix, 219 miles. Running total, 1,438.5 miles. Calculated distance to finish, 2,595 miles. Days remaining, 12. It was a pretty rough sea running, and I had to wash my sextant in fresh water after shooting the sun, but this was what I had come for, and I felt that there was a good chance to catch up in the remaining 12 days. There were 2,595 miles to go, which demanded an average of 216.25 miles per day to make up for my 195 miles deficit. It was going to be tough, but the winds in the second half of the crossing should be fresher than in the first half, and also there should be a favourable current. Gypsy Moth had rattled off 633 miles point to point in the past three days. My hopes certainly were lively, but the margin over the 200 was not great as a reserve. I went on deck to see if there was anything that could be done, but there was a great deal more wind on the stern than one would think when down below. I thought it would be folly to hoist a big runner, but I'd have been the death of a hundred quid if I could have had a 450 square foot runner right there with a pole strong enough to take the compression. I believe the mast would have carried it, and it would have given me another quarter knot. Just before 2.30pm, I logged that the speed had dropped to 9 knots. The wind had eased and was now averaging east-northeast at 30.5 knots. An hour later, the speed had dropped again to 8.9 knots. I decided to hoist the 640. Everything went smoothly with the operation, although there was a rain shower as I finished setting it. At 7 o'clock that evening, the wind seemed to have changed after a rain shower, and the heading improved from 295 degrees to 275. There then came a rain shower, but fortunately it did not seem to have any vice in it. My remaining boom was only 22 feet long, but the big runner seemed to be setting perfectly with it. In spite of that, the average speed had dropped to 8.5 knots. I rigged the boom as far aft as it would go until it touched the forward lower shroud. I slacked off the number one jib, which was being filled with strong overflow by the big runner, and logged, If the gear holds, I could not wish for a better setup. I reckon it is no use setting any more sail than now, because the topsail and the mizzen 
would only take the wind out of the sails forward of them or backwind their flow. I see that I am a good deal more than halfway across to the windward isles of the Caribbean. I only wish this exciting sail could last a long, long time. Now for some lunch with a good brandy, hot. I think that last log entry shows how one can get in tune with the gear on a long voyage. If the gear holds, I could not wish for a better setup. I knew I was overdriving Gypsy Moth. An hour before midnight, I logged. I am thrilled in the cockpit when Gypsy Moth is riding the breakers. The pickup by the wave with the bows pointing downwards, the surge forward, the bows still pointing down a little, the boiling, seething cascade rising above the deck on each side, if going straight with the wave, or if Gypsy Moth is taking the wave a little across it, or has been slewed sideways by it, the sudden, immensely powerful, irresistible lurch sideways, followed by the surf raging all along the lee deck. And ten minutes later, calamity struck the project. Thursday the 21st of January, 0330, just back from the big schmozzle, but too tired to describe it now. Pole bust in half, came unhooked at mast, flogged about with the sail. Sail, sailed under the keel by gypsy moth, etc. I've cleared up the mess, but it has taken from after 11pm till now, say four hours hard, and now we just jog along. My thrilling sail, reaching at last the speed I had been aiming at, was, to coin a phrase, up the pole. Two hours before midnight, the speed was nine and a third knots. Now it was only seven and a third knots, and both poles were bust. What a lesson in life. My prospects were bright. Gypsy Moth had been sailing as I dreamed she would. Four hours later, my chances of hitting the target shattered. I could hardly write eight lines in the log. My head kept dropping off to sleep, and my pen wriggled on the paper before stopping. A great amount of power can be harnessed by sails, and occasionally one is reminded forcibly of this, as when the big runner began beating its neighbours savagely with the V-shaped pole, lifting and swinging it as if it were a cane held in mid-air by the clue of the sail. The heel of the pole had wrenched itself out of its lug on the mast, but by the grace of providence had jammed on a now jagged metal mast cleat a foot or two below it, I was staggered at my good fortune when I looked at the small amount of damage done. The deck was scoured a little here and there, the glass of the forehatch skylight deeply scarred. What amazing good luck that it was not broken. Even the foredeck net, which looked a little tattered ruin, was only worked loose from its lashings, or perhaps some of those which had been missing had been torn free. The clue outhaul rope, speckled red from the anti-fouling paint on the hull bottom, was undamaged but most impressive of all to my eyes was how elegantly, firmly but without fuss, the big self-steering wind vane was handling the situation, keeping Gypsy Moth steadily on her course despite the commotion at the bows. This time it seemed much easier to hobble the pole without getting clocked by it. I seemed to be getting to know the drill. Then I had to recover the big runner from under the keel. I thought hard before acting. Although Gypsy Moth's speed was drastically reduced, she was still going at more than seven knots. First, I let the sheets fly through the sheaves at the side of the cockpit, and when they were streaming free alongside the hull, clear of the keel, the rudder, and the self-steering skeg, the sail stood under the keel to the lee side. I then recovered the sail and the sheets by hauling the sail in at the foredeck. It was virtually undamaged, although streaked with anti-foul paint. The next entry in the log at 08.30 was short but sweet. Reckon I can make a pole up by lashing together the two ends of the two poles. One piece is 15 foot, 
and the other end 18 foot long. This would give me a 22 foot pole with an overlap of 11 feet. By God, I'll give it a try. But first, some breakfast. Ninth day run to noon fix on Thursday the 21st of January 1971. Distance fix to fix 193.5 miles. Calculated distance to finish 2,408.5 miles. Days remaining 11. So in spite of the collapse of my last pole before midnight, Gypsy Moth had knocked out 193.5 miles between noon fixes. Up to an hour before midnight, she had been over 9 knots for 5.5 hours and had averaged 8.6 knots from noon to then. After that, she averaged 7.7 knots sailing speed, or 185 miles per day, until the next noon. The wind had actually strengthened, so the accident had so far cost only 13 miles. At 1700 hours, I logged hard work to get everything done. Jibe necessary for the wind having veered to 110 degrees. So long since Gypsy Moth was on the other jibe that much sorting of vang tails, sheets, sheet horse slides, etc. needed. Booms pretty well ready for lashing up now. I had had to think carefully how best to do the repair, and I had turned for help to the invaluable Admiralty Manual of Seamanship. It sounds so easy just to lash two poles together. The difficulty is that the very heavy compression load ought to pass straight down the centre of the pole to its seating on the mast, otherwise the pole will start to bend and then bust out to the side, so a repair of two poles lashed together must aim to prevent that bend. And if you can solve it, another difficulty is that the poles must be lashed in such a way that they do not start scissoring. I had searched out a dozen lengths of cordage, most suitable as to thickness, strength and non-stretch quality. It was surprisingly difficult to locate enough pieces just right for the job. I chalked up the boom lengths so that they would not roll on the deck, then hunted out a length of anti-skid strip which is like coarse sandpaper, three inches wide and used to prevent slipping on wet sky like glass. I passed two turns of this round each broken pole end, hoping the friction would help prevent the poles from moving against each other, and then lashed one of my boat hooks into the little valley between the poles on one side and on the other side a length of plastic pipe about one and a quarter inches in diameter. I hoped these would check the scissoring. A number of rack seizings at intervals, figure of eight bindings with a dozen or so turns seized together, were the only kind of lashings to stand a chance of success. An hour before midnight, I decided to stop work and sleep. I was getting clumsy and terribly slow. I'd been at the job for 13 hours non-stop except for sailing the boat, navigating and eating. It was disappointing. I had hoped to have a boom up that night. Two hours after midnight, the log read, getting up to work on the boom, which is badly needed. The next entry at 0515 finished off the boom. Will it work? Changed number one jib over to the starboard stay, but ran into trouble. The starboard halyard had been in use with the big runner at the time of the crack-up and was hopelessly fouled aloft at the masthead. I could not see by the torchlight what was the matter, so meanwhile borrowed the starboard pole topping lift for rehoisting the jib. The heading had fallen off to west by south, and this made me think that I should have to jibe again soon, which, combined with the fact that I was now completely tired out and my balance bad, decided me to flop down for some sleep until daylight could show me what the halyard trouble was. 0800 hours. The heading is now 40 degrees off the required course, to the southwards. 
so I must jibe again and transfer the jib back to the port stay. My fingertips are so sore after the boom repairing that it hurts to use them. But at 10.50 I could write, do it yourself boom, up at long last with big runner attached. Seems okay, but pretty heavy and clumsy to handle. And at 11.25, with great relief, pole still looks okay. Set mizzen to balance lured turning movement of big runner. Now for breakfast. Now and then, after a drama or such like, I have brandy for breakfast, and this is one of those occasions. Tenth day run to noon fix on Friday the 22nd of January 1971. Distance fix to fix, 138 miles. Calculated distance to finish, 2,272 miles. Days remaining, 10. Good news, bad news. This fix-to-fix run of only 138 miles for 155 miles sailed was a depressing setback because the total of the five previous fix-to-fix runs had been 1,006.5 miles in spite of the first pole breakup during the fifth day. With the second pole breaking, there had been no running sail up for 23 hours of the tenth day. The wind had eased as well and the sailing speed had averaged less than 6.5 knots. The day's run had been knocked all to hell. In the afternoon, I changed the self-steering vanes, rigging the very big one. It was a difficult job working on the end of the counter while sailing almost dead downwind with a swell overriding the ocean. I'd rigged two more backstays to the top of the vane at its after corner to strengthen it, and to complete a busy day, I had at five o'clock a good talk with Frank Page of The Observer and then with Kevin Roon of the BBC Foreign News Desk. I reckon they must both be good men at their jobs, simply judging by the way they drew me out, making me feel keen to tell them what they asked for. Before midnight, I woke to find myself sitting head on arm at the saloon table, halfway through eating a treacle sponge pudding. I wrote, was in a heavy sleep, somehow oppressive with more lurky, ominous, mastering kind of dreams. I cannot set any more sail than now, unless possibly to set the 600 runner as a Genoa in place of the jib, which is 90 square foot smaller. But that would be foolish, because the jib is a really good driving sail. So the rig stands at the 640 runner and 510 jib, the mizzen and two staysails 750, and the topsail 370, which I make in total 2,270 square foot of sail. Gypsy Moth is sliding quietly through the water at 8 to 9 knots, and sighing with enjoyment as one of the waves, small at present, lifts her a little and rustles her along. The big runner, when I set it to the new made-up pole, had a romantic look, pinkish with here and there mottled red, due to its strange adventure in another element under the bottom of the boat. Well, that's the end of the episode for today. I hope you're enjoying the story so far. Now, if you haven't already, please check out the other podcast, The Mariner. There's lots of seamanship advice there and stories from my life sailing and we answer questions and go off on terrible tangents and things that uh, seem to keep people that are interested in sailing quite entertained. That's the Mariner podcast. Of course, you can go to YouTube and pick out the Mariner there. And at the moment, we're on board with the 40-foot Triamaran Spirit, sailing from Antigua to Bermuda and then on to New England. And all of this being made possible by the kind donations of sailors over on patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. Well, that's all for today from the Mariner's Library. I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers. Cheers.